That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Anya? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. And if you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later, where we're talking baseball, kind of whenever. I am your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing well. There's, I believe, 114 days till opening day. We got a lot to go over today. We got the non-tender uh, deadline victims. We have the Angels just cornering the Iglesias market. Uh, and we're talking Todd Helton today. Uh, yeah, t- you know, our bubble case of the week mm-hmm. is Todd Helton. Uh, if you want to check out the last two bubble cases we've done, uh, two weeks ago we did Bobby Breu, and last week we did Mark Burley. Mm-hmm. And this week we've got Todd Helton. But, yeah, non-tenders happened. Um, when was the deadline for that? Uh, Wednesday, no, last Wednesday. So that would have been the 2nd. Yeah, so December 2nd. And – a few, I guess, somewhat notable names. The headliner is Eddie Rosario, and then there's a there's a few other guys that, yeah, you know, I I was a little surprised to see like uh, Hanser Alberto was a guy. There was a there. lot. There were a lot of people, which I, I guess it makes sense following the you know the financial losses that a lot of teams are going through. But it, there was a lot of people that were non-tendered this year, more than more than most years, probably more than any year. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely because of that situation, uh, for sure. All right, I have the yeah. list up here. Um, Kyle Schwarber is one of them. Hanser Alberto is one of them. Eddie Rosario, Brian Goodwin, Archie Bradley, Kurt Casale, Hansel Robles, Danny Santana, Adam Duvall, John Brebia, Greg Garcia, Tyler Naquin, Matt Andres, Matt Whistler, Carlos Rodon, Delano DeShields, <laughs> Uh, good thing. The good thing the Indians didn't give up much to get him. Michael Franco, Ben Gamble, Nomar Mazzara, David Dahl, AJ Cole, um, Ryan Stanek was one of them. Um, oh, MVP candidate Ryan Tapera was cut loose by the Cubs. Kenyon Middleton uh, of the Angels. Uh, I think that's just about all the important ones. Jose Jose uh, Martinez was there. Um, yeah, I mean, Eddie Rosario is definitely the one that I think not a lot of people expected. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, um, he was one of my guys to watch, and he obviously had a tough year last year. But um, Corey Knable wasn't on here; he was he wasn't mentioned, but he was uh, he was one of them. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, uh, I guess Kyle Schwarber is probably the the biggest name uh, because of you know him being a huge prospect and. You know, being part of that, being a an, a uh, unique contribution to the 2016 uh, Cubs World Championship. But yeah, had a tough year last year. Um, he's, oh, it's always been kind of controversial with him because he's been a like a high strikeout guy, um, but he always has very good like exit velocity and things like that. He's, so, like a, he's almost like a three true outcomes hitter, but not, but not really. Yeah, and. He has like, qualities of it, but not ex- you, you can't exactly give him that rank. Yeah, and like, yeah, people, like when people talk about Kyle Schwarber, a lot of, you know, a lot of what's been mentioned is like potential, and he's had some glimmers of um, 
success, you know, one of the reasons he was one of your players to watch last year mm-hmm. was because he had an awesome second half. Yeah. And overall uh, last year had an 871 OPS. Led the so Cubs in home like, runs. Yeah. And he, yeah, he had, yeah, he had, he had almost 40 home runs in the year. And it looked like, you know, mom, he had some momentum coming in. And he had good home run numbers this year as well, had 11 in, in 59 games. But, you know, a 188 average and a 701 OPS, especially when you're like a defensive liability. And it looks even better now that the universal DH is not going to be happening, which uh, we've, we forgot to put on the prep sheet, but that looks like it's not going to be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like Kyle Schwarber's just not a, a fit for the Cubs right now. He probably would have gotten a decent chunk of change in arbitration. So, and the Cubs are definitely not uh, spending much right now so uh you know i guess it ultimately made sense so uh there's one particular individual on this list who that i was very surprised with and i think uh would be a really good under the radar pickup for some team and that is matt whistler who is uh non-tendered by the minnesota twins uh he was he had a really really good season as a reliever last year kind of started his career as a starter with the braves that didn't exactly pan out too well uh he went to the bullpen uh, at some point in this year in particular, he was awesome. Uh, just to give you an idea, in 25 innings pitched, obviously a very small sample size, but in that, a 107 ERA uh, with an expected ERA of 274, uh, that would be in the top seven percentile of the league. Uh, his hard hit percentage went down significantly. His ex con and his ex went down significantly. All his expected statistics went down way more than they way way down further than they were previously. Um, and his strikeout percentage also went up four four and a half percent to 32.7. Um, he's been if you look at his baseball savant page, he's in the top 10 percentile of most of the most of the leaderboards on there. Uh, any any team just about can benefit from having this guy, whether it's a contending team, whether it's a team that can try to flip him for some value. Uh, Matt Whistler is a guy that should be on every team's radar. Yeah, lit- yeah, literally every team, you know, like, uh, you know, the Red Sox or someone like that. Uh, but, I mean, the Phillies. Yeah. It, <laughs> then again, if they can even afford it, because supposedly they're uh, – this ended up being debunked, but there was a report that they were shopping Zach Wheeler. Uh, and then John Middleton came out and said, I'd ra- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade Zach Wheeler if they offered me Babe Ruth. Yeah, probably smart because Babe Ruth is like 150 years old and he hasn't played in a while. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he had a rough fault, you know, not a even in his last year in 1935 didn't look great. So not a, not an investment uh, to get Babe Ruth. But yeah, um, yeah, the Twins pulling some weird moves. I mean, like that's a he's a you know he's a reliever. He's not going to make that much in no. arbitration and he had a 107 ERA last year and you know they let go of Eddie Rosario too but you know that's that's the obvious headliner that must be frustrating for him like I'm like what more could he have done to for the twins to be like yeah no we need you actually what uh Whistler yeah 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 a a 107 ERA like even a even with a 335 FIP that's amazing exactly it's it's really odd, and like it makes me wonder about the um, direction of the Twins. It like, does. I... 
they're both letting go central, both both central divisions are confusing right now because like the cubs won the division they've obviously been they're obviously kind of moving in a different direction with theo stepping down with them non-tendering schwarber you know they're kind of looking around to shop some people they're listening to offers the reds just traded ricella glacius which we'll get to later uh they've also you know been listening to offers on sunny gray uh, the Cardinals, I guess, are in the best spot in the Central right now, if you really think about it. Yeah, like with the with the Twins, you know, they, they're they obviously letting go of Rosario. And, you know, this one's a weird one because it doesn't look like he would have made much money anyway. And uh, Nelson Cruz is on the free agent market. They're probably not going to spend on him. So it might be another situation where they're, they, they think they've um, – hit their window, which is like, I don't know, 2017 to 20 to 2020. Mm-hmm. And it's and weird it's- because the discussions we've always had with the twins is always like their pitching is the problem. Like, I mean, in 2019, they set the record for most home runs hit by a single team in a season. And the pitching was always the issue. That's why they were never able to win a playoff game. And now they just cut one of their better pitchers. Yeah, exactly. And, um, the, the larger point I was going to make is they've they're kind of stopping spending, which I don't know if Whistler is the example of that. But when you look at, you know, they're probably not going to get Cruz back, and they're gonna and they're letting go of Rosario. It looks like they're ready to be, you know, non-spenders again. Probably mm-hmm. a lot of the reason because of lack of revenue last year, and you know, they're they're one of those teams that can't really survive without that. Um, continuous revenue from from crowds and stuff they're unlike you know probably the only teams not being affected by that right now are probably you know red sox yankees uh mets dodgers um just as a i mean the well steve cohen hasn't lost anything so the mets are probably in the best position yeah and yeah the yeah the whole point about the central yeah the reds yeah, not only I mean, like and that, it goes for both centrals because like you know the twins are obviously seem to be dismantling the Indians are kind of weird we don't really know what their deal is the White Sox looked good um, but then they hired Tony Larusa. Yeah, I now I'm thinking that like even with Tony Larusa as their manager, like they should probably still the best be, team in the division right now. Yeah, there's they still should win should be favorites to win the division. Yeah, and the NL Central, yeah, the NL Central is really really weird uh you know the cubs last year they were the they won the division they were the you know worst team to worst record to win a division which might say something about the central it might say something about the cubs but still weird that four teams from that division made it though i it's it's like (laughs) it is funny uh to bring up uh john farrell when john farrell in 2015 said that they had five number ones and it was more like they had five number threes yeah it seems like with the uh nl central they have four like third place teams mm-hmm. yeah it's perfect yeah, yeah like the the cubs reds cardinals and brewers are all solid third place teams and they're all in one division yeah and there's the pirates yeah and then there's the pirates the yeah pirates it's like, are like the pirates are like the justin masterson of that division like n- nobody ever, nobody ever thinks they're gonna. Even if, even if the you know if someone's trying to praise them as a number one, like no. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Get that. So. But yeah. Um. I guess those are the uh, the non tenders, the twins with the biggest surprises, and 
uh, the Cubs letting go. Do you want to do, do, do some like quick predictions? Actually, now that we're here. Um. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. We'll predict. We should. Because predict, I think like, I think the biggest winners of this non-tender deadline are the Phillies because we all know that this is a really talented team on paper, but the bullpen is what you know really really uh, got in their way last year, and that's kind of the main reason why they didn't make the playoffs. And the reliever market this year is kind of weird because it's like, you know, you have like the Hendricks of the world and what, who are the other big relievers out there? Like there's Liam Hendricks. Am I missing a few? Um, uh, I'll, go, I'll go to the MLB trade rumors list. I mean, that's like the, but like, there's not like, there's a couple, I feel like there's a couple good relievers on the market and there's just a drop off. And Trevor May is obviously off the list now. Uh, that was a guy that a lot of people were looking for. Um. And obviously, you know, that was, that was a lot of room for the Phillies to not really be able to, to improve. But now you got R.G. Bradley out there. You got Hansel Robles out there. You got uh, Matt Whistler out there, like I just mentioned. Uh, Carlos Rodon is a starting pitcher. Um, maybe you could take a waiver on him just to see what's going on there. Uh, Ryan Stanek is out there. Tyler uh, Anderson. Pedro uh, Baez. Yeah, Pedro Baez. He's been he's been very consistent for the Dodgers, but I feel like he'll just end up going back to the Dodgers. I'm not sure, but I just feel like that'll happen. Yeah, uh, uh, Shane, I feel like Shane Green. Too. Yeah, Shane Green, something like that. But really, like it's really just Liam Hendricks. That's kind of like the no one else is up to that standard. That's the market. That's the guy that you're spending more than ten million a year on. But if the you know if the Phillies are are looking to be on a budget like there's a lot of non-tender candidates here that can fit nicely into that bullpen and uh, yeah, make you, it into a better team if you get yeah if you get two or three of those guys it makes yeah. your bullpen infinitely better but you know i guess they took a risk on like brandon workman and heath hembry but i would argue that those guys weren't as you know consistently developed as mm-hmm. Even though Workman had a great 2019, his history before that was a little shaky. I think the guys that were actually, named... I just, I just learned this. I looked this up before the show. Brandon Workman in 2019, uh, believe it or not, has the only season in baseball history with 70 plus innings pitched and less than 30 hits allowed. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I bet, I bet you weren't expecting a how about that on this show. I saw it like an hour ago. I was just like, huh, it's interesting. Yeah, and the the world of relievers, you just you just don't know. Like, and it, it something flipped, something didn't go right. But here's here's to that stat. How about that? Yeah, because I, I was thinking about it earlier. I was like, man, like he was so unhittable that year. Like he only gave up one home run the whole season, and it was after Chris Sale's 17 strikeout game. Uh, like, and yeah, he ended up being I only season of baseball history, 70 plus innings pitched and less than 30 hits allowed. He allowed exactly 29. Yeah. I'll keep that in the log for the Brandon Workman episode that we're going to be doing in the future. For sure. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean like, yeah, if the, the Phillies eyes should be open on Whistler who could use like, um, I guess, do you think that Schwarber is probably going to be a DH somewhere in the American League? Um, yeah, a lot of people are saying Yankees. I just don't really know where he would fit into that. You know, into that lineup. Yeah, or, they already have. Like they have Stan as DH. They got, I guess, maybe an outfield to replace Gardner. But like they have Frazier, who should probably play more. They have Hicks. They have Judge. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I feel like, like I don't team. like, I think he's a guy that would benefit from that short porch, but I just, I, I don't see where he would fit there. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess maybe the twins could go after him as a cheaper replacement for, for Rosario. That would for, make sense. That's kind of similar. Similar type player, but there's a big drop off in defense there, especially if you're going to, or Cruz, yeah, too. Um, yeah, Twins does make a lot of sense if they want to go a cheaper route. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely yeah, if, an they, if they want to add to that, you know, keep the theme of the powerful lineup, mm -hmm. um, that could work. But um, yeah, like competitive teams in the AL, yeah, I mean, I guess. Yankees are an option, but probably won't happen. Twins look decent. I mean, you could always fill space on like the Angels roster or something. You know, anyone can be, anyone can get signed to the Angels right now, except like a center fielder. I do like what Perry Manassian has been doing. Yeah, I guess that's a good trans transition. Is that a, mm -hmm. uh, do you think that's all we have on? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I addressed, we addressed everything like the, the widespread reliever market, like Bradley and, and Whistler and Robles, uh, Brebia also, like there's a plenty of guys out there. I think Matt Andrews just went to the angels too. Uh, so I think that, so that's a, definitely a good bullpen piece. Um, there's a lot that people don't know about the angels. Like they're like, obviously everyone looks at Trout and Rendon, but there are a lot of players on this team that have a lot of talents that kind of go under the radar. And now Jose Iglesias and Rice Iglesias are both being added to that. Yeah, I guess the more under the radar guys are, you know, David Fletcher and like uh, Andrew Heaney had a pretty good year last year. Uh, Dylan Bundy too. He was a he yeah. Got some young votes. Uh, the big one, the big yeah, one that was Mike Mayers. Yeah, Bundy came in last year and um, had a real turnaround season. Eh, Heaney, Heaney had a very he had a big FIP ERA discrepancy in terms of uh, I guess the big FIP people would say he that did. He, he did. Uh, he, he was, a, he was very inconsistent. Like he did have some good outings and some bad outings. Uh, the FIP is a concern, but I think he's a guy that can develop. Uh, no, Griffin Canning is also a guy they need to develop, but I mean, they are also in the market for Bauer. Um, so that would be obviously very beneficial to them. That gives them a certified ace and that'd be a really good one, two punch, but uh, that's not what this is about. Yeah. I'm saying uh, Heaney, the fit people would say he would be getting unlucky. Mm -hmm. um, and Bundy, I'm not sure, but Bundy, Bundy had a very good year last year. He kind of transformed. But yeah, the Angels are definitely a mysterious team, but I feel like around the field, uh, they could use some additions. They got uh, Jose Iglesias, who kind of went under the radar in 2020, although he was a little bit injured, but he's been like... He, you know, with Hall of Fame stuff we've talked about, he's pretty much exactly Omar Vizquel statistically. Yeah, I mean, if he does, if he, if he were to do this for another like 10, 15 years, play at this exact pace, we're literally looking at the same type of player, like the same archetype. Yeah. Um, yeah, except, yeah, Iglesias raised his OPS plus to 88, uh, his career OPS plus to 88. So I think it was exactly the same beforehand. Yeah, before before 2020. Um, but yeah, last year, Iglesias, 39 games. So that's almost two-thirds two of the games. Mm -hmm. uh, he hit 373 with a 956 OPS. Uh, yeah. 
and he's obviously very, very good defensively. Um, and here, here's the nice thing. Like, the Angels, they don't even need him to do that. And I don't think they're expecting him to do that. But, I mean, if he's got that in the tank, <laughs> no problem. But he can, if he can find a happy medium between last season and his career averages and post, like, a, a high 700s OPS, that's perfect. That's all they need because you know you're going to get high-quality defense. He's got to stay on the field, of course. But, uh, you know, the Angels do have injury problems on a year-to-year basis, and Iglesias is also a guy like that. So that does worry me. But, I mean, like I just said, like, high 700s OPS – Maybe even I'm mid 700 to 700s works too. If he can be right around the league average in OPS and play his style of defense, that is all the Angels need from him. Yeah, yeah, they they need that and they need health because uh, Andrelton Simmons was very good for them from 2016 to 2018, but uh, the injury bug started to strike. He only played 103 games in 2019, and he only played uh, half their games in 2020. So if you get a guy that's on the field all the time, that's immediately an upgrade. Um, Simmons might be a little better at full health, but um, he might be falling off too. But yeah, Iglesias seems like a a good move um, on their part. And Rysel Iglesias seemed like a a good move. I I should look up his stats. They were very good. Uh, Last year, he was, I mean, it's kind of common for closers to do this, but he was very good in save situations and not very good in non-save situations. Uh, His savant page looked really good last year. I know that that's not the end-all be-all, but it's certainly encouraging, especially because the Angels had Ty Buttry as their closer last year. I think it goes without saying that this is an upgrade. Um, But the Angels, they now have a 7-8-9 in the back end of their bullpen of Felix Pena, Mike Mayers, and Rysel Iglesias, which is which is really good. That's so much better than what they were looking at at this time last year. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, even we like to point at, you know, FIP and the expected statistics and what actually happened was also very good two seven four ERA, which you'll take out of a um, back end reliever uh, pretty much, pretty much all the time, unless you're, you know, a crazy stacked bullpen, mm-hmm. but that's a very good ERA. And uh, that's what you like to see. So, yeah, another good move. And uh, I guess the other move that happened, uh, not with the Angels, but with the I, uh, I want to make, can I make a couple more points on the Angels? Um, yeah. I mentioned Mike Mayers earlier as a part of their, um, as a part of their, you know, their back end of the bullpen. Um, against lefties, this guy is so weird because he's a right-handed pitcher and he has very reversed splits. Uh, against lefties against him slashed 100 143 167 for a 310 ops lefties yeah wow uh i believe they only went four for no they went six for 60 wow mm-hmm. that's wild yeah uh and you may remember him from having the worst uh major league debut ever for the cardinals in 2016 but uh now he's now he's being very efficient for the angels and this yeah. is a team that I mean, obviously, everyone wants to see them succeed for the obvious reasons of we need to see Mike Trout in the playoffs. And I really, really like what Perry Manassian has come in here and, and done. I don't know if that says, speaks to Billy Epler. I don't know if it speaks to, you know, the Angels maybe having a change of heart from a front office perspective after the firing, um, because we don't really know the ins and outs of how all that worked. But nonetheless, he's come in and he's making moves and he's obviously making this team better than what they were before. Yeah, um, 
two two pretty under the radar moves. Not you know a big splash in free agency, which probably which might end up happening later in the off season. But you know, getting the pe- getting the puzzle pieces together, filling in with a good shortstop, filling in with a yeah a good um, bullpen arm. He, I mean, he, he's come in and he's addressed two of the two of the holes on the team. And by the way, this team is only going to get better from here because after the 2021 season, Pujols and Upton are both off the books. Little post-production correction. Justin Upton's contract is actually done after 2022 and not done after 2021. Sorry about that. That is so much money that they are now freed of that they can go spend elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, this could be... This could be the start of something, and uh, you know, Trout's locked up there uh, for life, pretty much. So yeah. you'll always have him, and he should be still doing his thing. Into I think they only have I think they only have two giant contracts after next year, right? Because it's just Trout and Rendon, right? Because Pujols is obviously, you know, his contract is an albatross, but they're going to be done with that. Upton is a, I mean, we need him to be better. He was miserable last season. Um, and he's going to be off the books too. So that frees up a spot in left field. You got to expect that Joe Adele is going to, you know, develop further. Uh, Brandon Marsh, if he isn't traded for something, uh, is probably going to be, by the way, I just made a connection. Uh, last time the Orioles and Angels made a trade, uh, the Angels got a really good starting pitcher. So now they may get a, re- get a really good shortstop. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very possible. We'll see. Um, but yeah, uh, one point I was gonna make. I guess, I guess that'll just go. That'll just go away. But, but yeah, um, but yeah, uh, up, yeah, Upton and Pujols. That's a combined like fifty million dollars. Yeah, a year that you're getting rid of. So that's that's huge. huge. That's so huge. And you don't even have to like go out and get it. You you already have the star power in your lineup with Trout and Rendon, and then who knows what Adele can become because he was a absolute top of the line prospect when he was in the minor. So if he can develop to become a third super superstar in that lineup, you can focus on the little things with that $50 million. Like you can get yourself a starting pitcher. If you don't land Bauer, you can get yourself some relief pitching. You can get yourself whatever you want because you know, you have a lot more, uh, I guess, space in your, uh, in your salary. Not that there's a salary cap league, but you have a lot more money to spend. Yeah, exactly. And you know, if, if Bundy has a good year this year, you can re-sign him after the season. Mm-hmm. Plenty of uh, plenty of options for the Angels when you have uh, Pujols. Albatross is going away. STVNL alum Albert Pujols uh, off the books and uh, or STVNL history alum. Yeah, and he wasn't um, on the show. Yeah, he, <laughs> we did not get him. We tried. We did not get an interview from him. Um, <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, and the other reliever to um, be signed, this we brought Steve Cohen up earlier in the show. Not not a huge splash, but uh, they were able to get Trevor May, who uh, was one of the staples of the Twins bullpen, and uh, is now going to be wearing the the blueprint the blue pinstripes from New York, not the uh, not the navy blue, but the blue ones. I'm colorblind. I yeah, the the. Uh, <laughs> I do like that both teams from New York wear pinstripes, so mm-hmm. you can get it confused. But yeah, um, the Mets, 
Trevor there are a couple. I guess the concerns is that people hit the bar, ball hard off of Trevor May last year because his exit velocity was in the eighth percentile and his barrel percentage was in the ninth percentile, which isn't very good. But his strikeout numbers and his run prevention, uh, very good. Um, expected batting average in the 83rd percentile, K percentage in the 98th. Uh, among among relievers when strikeouts were on an all-time high, especially for bullpen pieces. So that's obviously really encouraging. Also with percentage of 99%. So the strikeout numbers uh, have been really strong for him. Uh, I know I'm kind of going to contradict what I said three seconds ago, but the run prevention and the hard hit balls uh, can improve. But ultimately, I think this is a really good move for the Mets. Um, the bullpen is can always use some work. You can never have enough relievers. Uh, and this is a rather cheap deal. It's not, you know, Steve Cohen isn't emptying his pockets for this one. Um, so now you have what Edwin Diaz, you have Dylan Batances if he can stay healthy, Trevor May, Seth Lugo. Uh, you have so many guys in this bullpen that can perform for you at any given time, and they can do and they can pitch in multiple different roles. Yeah, pretty deep bullpen. You know, Diaz had a bounce back year last year uh, in terms of you know ERA and uh, FIP and all Strikeouts. that stuff strikeouts like 20 strikeouts per nine yeah i mean he's always had the strikeouts it was i think it was a big difference in uh hit prevention yeah um with him and maybe maybe some walk prevention but yeah lugo uh is a very under the radar guy and trevor may yeah trevor may you know he i guess it's a very small sample size but he gave up uh five home runs in 23 and a third innings pitch last year um which is 1.9 per per nine but I, you know, that's a small sample size, I think. And like, I think that'll get corrected uh, ultimately back to kind of an average state. And yeah, the strikeouts are good. Like uh, in, with exit velocity, you know, I only consider like the percentiles of like exit velocity and hard hit percentage. If a guy isn't, you know, striking a lot of guys out, but this guy's striking out over a guy and a half per inning. Um, 14.7 strikeouts per nine. So, you know, and you, when you look at the expected batting average and like the expected WOBA against that considers all, you know, strikeouts, walks, things of that nature. So um, it shows that he's actually, you know, he's not, he's not necessarily do, getting lucky or unlucky. So that's a good sign. Just a good pickup overall, you know, a guy. Absolutely. A guy who's consistently been, you know, between like a 2.9 and 4 ERA. I think he was particularly good, like, around the last month or so of last season. Uh, uh, like, I think there was – he had some sort of, uh, like, run last season where all his numbers just went way up. Yeah. Um, um, we'll, we'll see. I'm checking the 2020 game log. I love that the – that the last month of the year was basically the second half. Yeah. Pretty much. It, it was weird. Last season was very, very weird on so many different levels. Um, From, I guess I'll just do this. Uh, during the month of September last year, he was very good at 289 ERA with uh, 16 strikeouts and nine and a third innings pitched and an, yeah, and an opponent's OPS of 552. Yeah. And his last, his last uh, six appearances, uh, five and a third innings pitched, no hits, uh, one run that was unearned, three walks, 10 strikeouts. Um, yeah, no hits. So that's a zero, zero, zero average, 158 OPS against, um, you know, in five and a third innings yeah. pitched. But 
still, you know, that's a guy that can go on a run like that, um, be pretty reliable. And, you know, 386 ERA, that was his highest of the last three years. So, you know, it's not going to get too, too bad. So that is uh, Trevor May. Any, any more thoughts on, uh, on this pickup? Um, I, this is, this is a good move for the Mets. Good move for, was this, is this Steve Cohen's like first, uh, like move? Um, I guess this is his first big one, right? Yeah, I think so. Outside of maybe one non-tender. I don't know. Did he, I don't know if he non-tendered anybody. I don't think so. But yeah. But yeah. And now we get onto Hall of Fame talk, which is, which is, uh, you know, a very, especially this off season where free agency, you know, we're not going to be seeing guys sign till about June. Uh, so we, uh, we have to talk about, you know, hall of fame stuff and hall of fame stuff this year is especially, especially, um, important this year because there's no one you see that you're like, Oh, this guy's definitely going to get in this year. Like, you know, last year it was uh, Derek Jeter, and the year before that it was like Mariano Rivera, mm-hmm. um, Roy Halladay as well. Yeah, Roy Halladay. Um, Dipper Jones was very recently. Jim Tomey was very recently. I think those are both two years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. Jones was on the same ballot as uh, Rivera. The year before that was Pudge Rodriguez. Yeah, like guys that were pretty much automatically going to be in. These are kind of the uh, everyone's kind of a, a I guess you know a misfit toy of the Hall of Fame. You know they're going to be getting whoever gets in will be getting in after multiple ballots and more than two ballots for sure, mm-hmm. unless unless Bobby Abreu can pull it out this year, which he won't. <laughs> but but yeah, um, Bobby Abreu just goes from five point five to eighty one point three. Yeah, yeah. Um, he gets drug tested. Yeah. But yeah, we, uh, we're going to be go, you know, this is a new segment introduced by, uh, Daniel. Daniel really is, uh, up to date on what ballots are coming through. I, you know what I'll do? I'll pull up, uh, okay. If you're not following Ryan Thibodeau on Twitter, you need to, it's, uh, it's at not Mr. Tibbs. Uh, he does a fantastic job, uh, tracking all the ballots that come in from writers and, uh, he keeps, uh, he keeps like a big, uh, spreadsheet or it's a Google slide, it's a Google sheet, or it's a, what, it's whatever it is. But um, before we get into this, uh, there have been 24 ballots made publicly, two anonymous in total of 26 ballots that have been put out so far. Um, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens both have 18 out of the 26. That puts them at 69.2%. Uh, and nobody else has more than that. Scott Rowland has, uh, has 17 of them for 65%. Uh, Kurt Schilling has gotten a couple drops. Uh, which puts them down to 57% at this point. Um, I'm trying to think what other like big takeaways are there. Omar Vizquel has kind of stayed steady to where he was last year. Uh, if it were to end right now, which you can't, that's not fair to do, but if it were to end right now, he would go up 1%. Um, as of now, nobody's at the 70% threat, 75% threshold. Um, but yeah, that's kind of it. Uh, and we are going to go over the I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be mean. So we're gonna do the best and most confusing ballot of the week that comes out. 
Yeah. And, uh, so the the best, my favorite ballad that came out this week uh, was from Mark Newman, who um, has been writing. He's a you know he's an MLB journalist. He put out his ballad on Twitter, and um, he put out a ballot with. He added Bobby Abreu. He checked off Barry Bonds. He checked off Roger Clemens. He checked off Todd Helton, who we're going to be going over today. He checked off Andrew Jones. He checked off Andy Pettit. He added Manny Ramirez. He checked off Scott Rowland. He checked off Kurt Schilling, and he checked off Billy Wagner. And I believe he also said that Sheffield was, like, on the bubble for him. Uh, yeah, he did. So Sheffield's on the bubble. Um, if I'm actually going to share, share the screen just as a visual if anyone wants to see yeah, let me do that. on YouTube. Um, but yeah, he's, yeah, Abreu, Bonds, Clemens, Roland, Ramirez, Pettit, Helton, Schilling, Wagner, and uh, all STBNL uh, approved, uh, I yeah. would say. The one, the one that I would maybe uh, adjust is Pettit, but if that's the worst, if that's the one thing I'm looking at, you did a good job. Yeah, you know, obviously we're not all going to have exactly every, everyone, every one of these on the, on our ballots, you know our official BBWAA ballots, but, you know, it's very, very similar line of thinking as, uh, as we can see. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, there's so many different possibilities here and there isn't, there's definitely no defined correct ballot, especially with, you know, a lot of the, the, the lack of just automatically appealing candidates on this one. Uh, but I, I'm happy with how Mark Newman decided to vote on this one. Um, Listen to this. You did a good job. We're proud of you. Yeah, shout out to uh, shout out to Mark Newman, uh, and I hope hope he gets well because he had he said he had uh, COVID. So yes, gets hope he hope he gets better soon. But yeah, pretty much our line of thinking. You know, uh, most of the bubble cases he has. We're gonna make it, we're gonna make it pretty clear who we who we want and who we don't want. Uh, when yeah, we do especially with this segment. Season. You will see a lot of patterns here. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the most confusing one, what was the name of the guy who... Um, okay, we wanted, before we do this, this is not anything personal. And this is not the worst thing. Of the, this is not the worst ballot I've ever seen uh, by any means. Uh, there's a couple of questions I have about it, though. And it's from Paul White. And uh, he put out a four-man ballot. Uh, all players of which I agree with, but... You know, I'm confused as to, like, if you're not going to vote this guy, why not? If you're going to vote this guy, why not that guy? Uh, so his four-person ballot was Todd Helton, Kurt Schilling, Gary Sheffield, and Billy Wagner. Uh, I'm happy with all of those, happy with all those uh, people being on the ballot. Uh, so good job on that. I'm glad you didn't put a certain, you know, some certain people on there. Uh, but, you know, Gary Sheffield is a guy who had steroid allegations against him, so... How come you're going to vote him, but not, you know, guys like Bonds, Clemens, or Manny, who were obviously more successful? Um, if you're going to vote Todd Helton, like, what do you see in him that you don't see in a guy like Scott Rowland? Uh, you know, these are just random questions. And, you know, I'm, I want, I would, I'm not, you know, judging you and saying that you're awful, but, uh, I, you know, these are just questions. Yeah, it is interesting. And one thing that I think, I think a point that I sort of figured out, you know, just thinking, just just thinking up here and you know wandering off in my thoughts like if Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens were more well liked in the baseball community like even before any of the steroid use because you know they didn't have 
reputations for being like, I don't know, clubhouse guys or, you know, guys that were, you know, humble or quote unquote, play the, play the right way. If they were, you know, nice, if they were like, you know, well-liked, I think it would have been a much bigger, you know, I think they would have been in already. Probably. We see that with like Mike Piazza who had a book come out like three years before, before, before he got in. That's the key. He got in. Yeah. He was just like, yeah, I did it. I took steroids. Like what, like what more proof could you need that there are already steroid guys in the hall of fame. And to be fair, uh, I sorry to interrupt you here, Chris, but in Mike Piazza's defense, uh, the steroid that he tested positive for wasn't actually illegal at the time, but neither, neither were any of them. None of them were illegal at the time because guess what? No one was getting suspended back in the, the, the mid-1990s, the early 2000s. That didn't happen. Yeah. That, I guess we we always stated on the show, uh, uh, PEDs were not punishable until 2005. So I always consider like, you know, what was your career through 2004-ish. But yeah, like, and Gary Sheffield, I think, is more well-liked than, like, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. So he kind of gets that vote. Like, even, like, uh, a guy like David Ortiz, he didn't have, you know, as big of a spotlight on him. But I think he's what he's going to be more forgiven. I don't know if he's going to be a first I feel kind of bad because this is definitely not – I mean, this is not by any means a bad ballot. And I think when we showcase this, this is supposed to be like, look how many terrible things are on this. This is not a bad ballot at all. This is, there were, there's weren't that many confusing ones over the past week. And it's not that this one's, you know, the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's just by process of elimination and just, you know, some of the inconsistencies there. Yeah. Like it is weird because Sheffield. Yeah. I guess Sheffield's like, um, PED allegations weren't as publicized as, you know, Bonds and Clemens, but that's because Bonds and Clemens were the best of their time mm-hmm. uh, position player and uh, pitcher wise. So, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're not as good as them, you kind of get the free pass from him. I don't know. I, I don't want to put, you know, words into his mouth, but that's if I had to assume that, if I had to, if I had to assume like what his line of thinking was, maybe it would be that, but yeah, or you know, subconsciously. Um, we need, we need Kurt Schilling to get in this year, because that if he gets in this year, that's one less guy that people have to consider during the last year of Bonds and Clemens, and it, next year's ballot's gonna be pretty stacked with the first year people. Because... Yeah, yeah, Schilling, he's on his ninth, right? Yes. Ninth. Yeah, I mean, if he's getting drops, it's it doesn't look great. Um, I, I know he had uh, some legal thing in terms of like crowdfunding or something like that, yeah. and like you know. Well, I mean, I think if people are going to drop shilling because of the character clause, I don't think it's because of that. I think it's because of just the events, the world events of the last year, uh, and what Kurt Schilling has been known to stand for. And I'm not saying I agree or disagree with any of that. Uh, but I still don't think that should disqualify him for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you know, I don't, yeah. Like, there. ultimately, it's, you know, political opinions, words. The guy, like, you know, I know it was 19 years ago, but he, he did win a Roberto Clemente Award mm-hmm. uh, in 2001, uh, which raised money for ALS. 
that's and he still and he still does that. Like he still does work against ALS to this day. Yeah, very short. You know, very like much he so. literally named his son Garrig. Yeah, he did. So you know, I I know that you know maybe he can say some controversial things, but I don't think like in the in the world spectrum, like what is he really doing? It's ultimately nothing. It's ultimately just going into a cloud somewhere. It's it's not really much. That's at least where we stand. Um, but yeah, like it's just uh, it's tough to see that he's getting drops. Um, you know, I guess I guess you know next year will not be an election year, so good for him. Yes, thank God. <laughs> It'll only be you know mayors and and first select people. Uh, yeah, I don't think elected. I don't think he's gonna lose any votes over that. Yeah, uh, but you did mention like the last time he lost votes from a year to year was 2016-17. Yeah, 2016 into 17. Yeah, yeah I, one thing I will correct. There was <laughs> um, on election day of that year, he put out a really, really controversial tweet, like the I, one that everyone references. I, well, I unfollowed him on Twitter after seeing that one. Yeah. Like, I was I like- I thought it was okay, only because of who won, but uh, that I think- it was largely because of that, but still like, actually, you know, I unfollowed him before that tweet even came out. Like first thing I did that morning was wake up. I scrolled through Twitter and saw him. I was like, nah, not today. Not today, Kurt. Yeah. No, I, I can't take, you know, no matter, I, I can't take someone who tweets about politics more it's than tough. like he never tweets about baseball. Yeah. Like, I'm not like, I, I don't care what your political opinions are. If you're not tweeting about baseball, like why am I following you? <laughs> There's only so many links to Breitbart articles that you can take in one day by, uh, by Uncle yeah, Kurt. I think well, I've followed him since that day. Well, he's put yeah. out a lot of controversial tweets. He's not, so he's not a, was, yeah, he's not really a baseball tweet. Like a, there was a particular tweet of like a t-shirt that he, that he put out a few years ago. That yeah, not- that was, I think that's what led to the drop in vote percentage in. Well, that makes sense because. After 2016. I yeah. thought, I thought it was because of other reasons. I thought, I thought that just because uh, a certain guy won. That... No, it wasn't because it's. I mean, he tweeted a. Yeah. Sh- you know, the people that he are voting for him are the particular people that he was targeting with that T-shirt tweet. Yeah, so uh, I, I misunderstood that in my. Uh... No, I don't think it's. I don't think it's because guy who won. Like, I mean, I think that. I mean, that certainly is a part of it, but I don't think it's directly like a cause. Like, I don't think it's like, oh, if if this went differently, but he still thought that I would have, like, I don't think it's like that at all. I think it's just, you know, yeah, yeah obviously, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I sort of implied that in um, when I did my uh, Get Shilling in the Hall of Fame rant um, yeah. last year, but I guess I, I did not know that particular history. Yeah, but still, we we want him in the Hall of Fame, but yeah, we will we'll get to his case uh, eventually. First of all, as a player, because a lot of people, a lot of people are saying he's so like, underrated as a player too. Like he is very underrated as a player. Very, very much so. Uh, you know, one of the top two guys to top two guys in the you know Cy Young era to never win a Cy Young. It's like him and Nolan Ryan, and even like he has a better ERA plus than than Nolan Ryan did. Um, Nolan, yeah. Ryan, Nolan Ryan had more workload, but you know. Uh, but yeah, but we're gonna Nolan get Ryan also pitched in a less offensive era. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Killing pitched at the peak of offense. He did. He did. So, but now we are going to be talking about uh, Todd Helton, um, who is on the ballot for his third year. Uh, he's kind of the face of. I feel like he's kind of the face of the Rockies franchise. Like I know Larry Walker, you know, he got in last year and he was probably, he probably had the better career in Colorado, but you know, Todd Helton spent what 17 years in Colorado. Uh, he was on that team that went to the world series. He was kind of the, the leader on that team as well. Um, yeah. And I, I hope, I hope I, get in because I think this is the first bubble case where we have both openly stated where we stand with them. Uh, or at least I do. Like I started voting for him last year, so I can tell you in with one hundred percent certainty that Todd Helton is going to be on my ballot this year. Yeah, and for me, I'm definitely leaning toward it. I'm like, mm-hmm. probably, I would say like ninety percent sure I'm going to be. I remember, like right after his first year, I started taking a deeper look. I was like, oh, I'm going to vote for him next year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh it's interesting because yeah, when you th- like. It's one of those things where you just hear the name and you're like, eh, but then you look at the actual numbers yeah. and it's like, oh, this guy, this guy was actually had a dominant five-year stretch. Um, so where he is at. So in 2019, he got a, he got 16.5% of the vote, which is, you know, um, inspiring that he probably, you know, he's not going to get left off the ballot. He's, and, you know, if he never makes it, he'll probably max out on ballots, but he probably will make it at some point. Uh, last year in, in uh, 2019 to 2020, he went, from t- he went to 29.2%, almost getting 30% of the vote. And at this point, he is uh, of, of 26 public ballot, or 26 ballots that are out there you know, 26 out of, you know, like 400 ballots, but of the 26 ballots, he's on 57.7% of them. And it'll probably lie this year. It'll probably be what, like maybe 40 to 45% of the vote. Uh, I'm yeah, I think that, I mean, that's a pretty big increase, but like, I mean, if there's not that many, you know, easy slam dunk hall of famers, I think that guys like Todd Helton would benefit from that uh, in the long term. But yeah, I mean, I think the goal for him would be like, high thirties. Cause I think that puts him on a good pace through three years. Yeah. I mean, if, if he made the exact, and, and I know it, there's probably a law of diminishing returns here, but if he made the exact uh, jump that he did last year, which was 12.7%, he would be getting 41.9%. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. You're probably right then. I mean, you're probably, yeah, he'll probably get into the forties, maybe even, I think like the, the, the uh like what the the reach goal would be 50 percent yeah yeah if yeah 50 50 that would be uh that would be very that would be very good for helton that would mean he probably gets in on his like fifth or sixth ballot mm-hmm. well it depends on like who gets added because i mean, i mean next year is probably going to be tough for guys like him because there's a lot of first years that may be getting a lot of attention like ortiz arod maybe to but probably not those are kind of the big three. I don't think anyone else. I mean, like what, Justin Morneau? Like, is he going to be getting a lot of attention? Probably not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think this this is a big year for Todd Helton. It's an important one for him to gain a lot while he has the advantage of being on a rather underwhelming ballot. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I I kind of I kind of just said it right there. I don't really think I have any other points to make. But yeah, um, Todd Helton, you know, as as we usually start, we look at the on the surface stats. Nothing, you know, not a lot of comparison. Just seeing where he's at. Uh, 61.8, 8 baseball reference war. That is five point one below the average Hall of Fame first baseman, and his F war is. 54.9 uh so a bit of a discrepancy there so if you're more of an f4 person you might be a little more skeptical of his hall of fame case and he slashed 316 414 539 953 uh in his career now uh it doesn't help his case that he did you know a 953 ops usually that's an automatic you know slam dunk hall of fame but not only did he play in the most offensive era ever, he also played in uh, he also played half his games in the uh, best ball ballpark for hitter, hitters era ever uh, at Coors Field. He played at Coors Field, so he had a 133 OPS plus, which is still very good, and a 132 weighted runs created plus in 9,453 career plate appearances. So uh, a very full career out of Todd Helton and his peak war is very inspiring uh, according to baseball reference 46.6 uh, peak war and that is above average for a hall of fame first baseman and if you don't know peak war is uh, the seven best seasons uh, ranked by baseball reference war added together basically shows like how dominant they were um, in you know a seven-year sort of span even if it's not seven consecutive years but how dominant they were ultimately not 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 compiling the peak war does not benefit the compilers uh as much and he ended up with 2519 hits 1335 walks 369 home runs and 592 doubles and those 592 doubles are 19th all time uh, in baseball history and you know, like I said, it's hard not to account for non-park adjusted stats for Helton uh, as he played his entire career for the Colorado Rockies. So I'm not really looking at guys with 2,500 plus hits and 1,300 plus walks combined. Like it's hard to compare him to, you know, all those guys with the same count statistics because he played in a, in a very, um, I mean, if we're looking at walks, like that's not necessarily, I mean, that is that because Coors Field really affecting that too much? I guess, I guess not, but it could affect like the pitcher throwing the ball, like if anything, but I think that's kind of a reach. Like, I think you're more, I think it's tougher to look at hits, home runs. Yeah, I, but I guess like combination of hits and walks mm-hmm. is hard. And also like a, a hitter might be less like in a situation where um, a home run could change the game. It, at Coors Field, a, a pitcher might want to throw to a guy less because there's a better chance of there being like an explosive hit. But it is a bit of a reach. But we're focusing more on park-adjusted statistics because ultimately, I think those park-adjusted statistics still benefit Absolutely. Helton's Absolutely. case. And uh, Helton's road OPS, if you're wondering. Um, so at home, obviously he dominated, but on the road, uh, he still had an 855 career OPS on the road, which is very, very respectable. 
especially considering like you know when you're on the road you're out of, out of your element anyway well, i'm wondering if the slps plus was uh was listed there uh pr probably i'm gonna and, check it and if uh -huh. you you know a lot of a lot of guys cases are made or break in the playoffs um Helton didn't was kind of neutral in the playoffs, I guess bad, but in terms of win probability added, very neutral. Uh, he hit 211 with a, with a 584 OPS and 66 plate appearances in the playoffs. And uh, he had 0 0.01 win probability added. So didn't add or like take away anything from the team in the playoffs. They don't have SOPS plus, but they have TOPS plus, and I don't think it's, it's the same because uh, I don't see how an eight – how an 855 road OPS would be an 80. Yeah, I don't, yeah, that's. I also don't see how a 1048 at home would be a 119. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, so TOPS plus uh, OPS for split relative to players total. Oh, that's why it's because it's okay. It's adjusted to the players. To okay, cool. I get it. Yeah, okay. That's not very reliable. Yeah. It's supposed to be like. 953 is is the standard and yeah okay yeah that makes sense so but ultimately his road ops is very respectable 855 so like i don't know but bobby abreu played in like the same era bobby abreu had a career 870 ops and a 128 ops plus so like if you could equate helton's road OPS to OPS plus it would probably be around like 125 or something like that yeah which is very respectable especially on the road so um and like yeah so now we get into comparisons or actually what what do we take away from from the on the surface stuff what do you see from you know just the basic uh basic looks of it yeah, I mean, when we talked about Larry Walker last year, you know, I think a lot of it was pointing at his road statistics and being like, hey, this guy was really good outside of course Field. But for Larry Walker, you had the benefit of being like, well, he also played in Montreal. He also played in St. Louis. You know, guys where you don't have that, or places where you don't have that ballpark advantage. Uh, and he was still really good there too. Obviously with Helton, he only played at course Field. He only played for the Rockies. So that does, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, that's something he can't exactly control and it's something that's used against him. But he did his job when he wasn't there too. Yeah, exactly. And like we we referenced it like last year, like Larry Walker had a better road OPS than Derek Jeter had career OPS. So does same Helton. Thing, same thing, same exact thing with Todd Helton. And it's by a significant margin. Um, I know that, you know, we know that Derek Jeter, you know, played longer and had, you know, great defense, you know, <laughs> and was Mr. Clutch. Yeah. No, he totally five, five he, championships. He totally but, had a really high batting average in the playoffs with the runners in scoring position, right? Oh, you know what? We're, we'll just we'll just move on from that. I don't want to. I don't want to shake up the show. Don't do not look at Chris's Twitter bio to see what Derek Jeter's uh, batting average was in the playoffs with the runners in scoring position. Just don't do it. Yeah, and if you do, make sure you're sitting down yeah. uh, before that. So. <laughs> With Todd Helton, we're going to kind of compare him with guys with similar numbers um, in terms of B-War, OPS+. Plus. So here are a list of retired players with 60 to 64 B-War. Uh, Helton lied at uh, 61.8, 61 
So kind of that range. And uh, 60 to 64 B war in 8,500 to 10,500 plate appearances. It's important to put the plate appearances down even with the B war because, you know, a guy getting, uh, you know, 60 B war in, you know, 7,000 plate appearances is a lot different from a guy getting 60 B war in 12,000 plate appearances because, you know, one, the guy with 7,000 plate appearances obviously was much more dominant for you know, in his time, a twelve a guy with twelve thousand plate appearances probably kind of compiled up to that point. So we get the range of both war and plate appearances. Yeah. So the list of guys in that in those ranges, there's uh I think eight or nine other guys. Uh, there's Jesse Burkett, who's a dead ball era Hall of Famer. Andrew Jones, who is on the ballot, he's a future bubble case. Um, Jake Beckley, who is a dead ball era Hall of Famer. Willie Davis, who was a defensive player, never got on the ballot, but um, his career OPS was 723, so he didn't really get that attention um, yeah. for Hall of Fame. Uh, Keith Hernandez, be a uh, Hall of Famer. who probably should be a Hall of Famer, he was a ninth ballot drop, but um, we, I, I think he should get on a veterans committee at some point. Um, then there's Harmon Killebrew, who's a who is a Hall of Famer, member of the 500 Home Run Club. Bobby Abreu, uh, a guy we talked about two weeks ago, he's on the ballot um, and maybe getting he's getting more traction this year, I think. And Zach Wheat, who is a, another Hall of Famer. And then the retired players with an OPS plus of 130 to 135 uh, in that range of plate appearances, 8,500 to 10,500. Uh, Roberto Clemente is the headliner of the group. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer. Tony Gwynn is a Hall of Famer. Uh, Al Simmons, who is a Hall of Famer. Fred Clark, who is a dead ball era Hall of Famer. Uh, Fred McGriff, who maxed out on ballots a I couple years back. I think he could also be a veterans era or whatever they call their committee guy. Because like, I don't think he's I don't think he's old enough to make the veterans committee. But whatever committee that he ends up on, I think he should make it. Yeah, it's possible. And I think he was getting around like, what, 50% of the vote in his last year? He kind of, a lot of his percentage was in the last year because like, I mean, I started voting for him during his last year because a lot of people were like, oh, wait, Fred McGriff's on the ballot. Uh, We should we should vote for him just to say we did it. Because he got a lot, I think like he netted like plus 25, plus 30 votes in his last year. I think a lot of that was just like, oh, I might as well do it while he's here. Yeah, no, he went from... Uh, he went from 23.2% in his ninth year to 39.8% in his last year. Yeah. So like, you know, he was very much considered, but uh, didn't, didn't end up getting the, I wouldn't be mad if he gets in at some point. Yeah. Me neither. Me neither. I he had a, he had almost 500 home runs. Uh, and then the next and final three guys in that uh, list of, retired players with an OPS plus of 130 to 135 in 8,500 to 10,500 plate appearances. Uh, Jim O'Rourke, who is a dead ball era hall of famer, Orlando Cepeda, who uh, was a veterans era hall of fame inductee and on the BBWAA ballots, he maxed out, but his last year he got 73.8% of the vote. And then five years later, he got inducted through the, uh, other committee so i guess that's something to consider there and then the last guy is ken singleton 
who was a first ballot drop. So I think from this list, it's majority Hall of Fame caliber guys yeah. uh, with Helton. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's worthy. I mean, you look at him in the same list as Roberto Clemente and Tony Gwynn. You know, those are certainly the two headliners, and you think, oh, wait a minute, Todd Helton's like right there with them. Yeah, Roberto Clemente is an interesting case. Like that guy, that guy, he, uh, you know, he won whatever twelve Gold Gloves. He's, you know, a defensive star. But Tony Gwynn, like Tony Gwynn, was a little under seventy B WAR, so mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense that they're looked at sort of at the same level. I mean, Gwynn. Gwyn got the it's weird because they were both like they're both in the same OPS plus, but they got to that OPS plus in different completely different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Helton. Yeah, Helton was a guy that got a lot more walks than Gwyn and you know got more the ball power. across the field more. And and his OPS overall was much better, but he played at Coors. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, it is weird to compare the two. Um but yeah, like it's it's mostly Hall of Fame, Fame caliber players that we're that we're looking at comparing to Helton in terms of those statistics. Obviously, you know, it's a case by case basis. Uh, but yeah, uh, so I guess I'll start with the case against Todd Helton. Uh, so someone who was who is against Todd Helton could say that, you know, especially if there are someone that's more on the uh looks at fan graphs a lot more for wins above replacement uh you know a 54.9 f war is not traditionally hall of fame worthy um which is a factor helton is also one of those guys that kind of got trounced by or kind of got um mixed in with a lot of other talent and was kind of dwarfed by Guys like, you know, Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez. Well, not A-Rod because, like, he didn't play. They never played in the same league. Yeah, but, you know, in terms, of, in terms of stardom and, you know, also, you know, I guess. Walker, his own teammate. I guess this isn't a case against him, but he was also in a small market. Um, at, you know, kind of a, a Rockies club that was getting off the ground. But also Todd Helton was only in three top 10 MVP finishes and he was only in the top five for MVP once. So I guess the argument would be that, you know, BBWAA was not voting for him during his career. So after his career, maybe a little inconsistent. And if you want to rely on just the wins above replacement, he was only in top 10 in B war and F war five times. And he finished top five in F war only twice um so he was not consistently like a top five guy in wins above replacement um and he was only top 10 in ops plus five times despite being known you know for his offense and despite playing at Coors field where you're expected to have more offense you know didn't reach those count statistic standards of you know he didn't even reach 2600 hits or even 400 home runs and outside of his 2000 to 2004 stretch, he was not really a top player. Didn't amass more than five wins of replacement in a season outside of that five-year stretch from 2000 to 2004, which will be talked about in his case for him. And uh, another, the last 
thing you could say in the case against Todd Helton is that he uh, was sort of, you know, I guess you could say a defensive liability. He has negative defensive runs above replacement and also negative defensive runs above average. Um, so he, his, uh, his defense doesn't help him at all, especially if you're saying that, you know, even his offense didn't really, doesn't really cut it uh, overall. But now, now we get into the case for Todd Helton. Uh, I would just like to add, he should have won MVP in 2000. He led the entire quadruple slash line. Uh, he had, he led the NL in war and he had a, a 1074 OPS on the road. Yeah, he probably probably should have gotten that award. Yes, he should have. He should have won that year. Uh, but, I mean, I just wanted to state that. They gave it to Jeff Kent instead. So, in the case for Todd Helton, a 134 OPS plus to go along with a 132 weighted runs created plus in 9,453 plate appearances is something that seems Hall of Fame worthy. I mean, that's 30, you know, a little above 30% above average. And uh, he had the better, he had a better average peak war uh, than the average Hall of Fame first baseman. So, uh, you know, he had a better peak than most guys that are in there at that position. And uh, from 2000 to 2004, that was kind of his big run. He was third in B war and third in F war behind Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez. And I mean, there's no shame in losing to those guys, especially during that time. That was Bonds' uh, best four-year stretch ever. And there's an argument to be made that just from that peak, he did enough to earn his plaque. He had a 37.5 B-War over just those five seasons, uh, which is really impressive. And Todd Helton had six B-War, or he had five seasons of six B-War, and there are only 22 other retired players to do that. 17 of them are Hall of Famers. The ones that aren't Hall of Famers are Shoeless Joe Jackson, who was involved in the Black Sox scandal, so that's obviously why he's not in. Uh, Ken Boyer, who had a 116 OPS plus, and he didn't benefit from the more modern modern statistics. And then Andrew Jones, who's on the ballot, Chase Udley and Adrian Beltre, who are not yet on the ballot, but probably will be getting it at some point, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a case I'm going to be making in a few years for both of them. I mean, Adrian Beltre is going to go in, no problem. Chase Udley, I think, will have a little trouble, but he should go in anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's – yeah, 22 other retired players with exactly – Exactly five seasons of, of exactly. six plus B war. Um, like Todd Helton, yeah. 17 are Hall of Famers, and the other five all have, um, you know, there's reasons why they're not on there. You know, some have not had a chance yet yeah. uh, to be elected into the Hall of Fame. So um, most like, of them probably will be elected at some point in the future. So, yeah, most guys that get five seasons of six plus uh, baseball baseball reference wins above replacement are going to get in and like helton didn't just he didn't you know halt on the brakes after his career he still had a very like he was still able to be productive outside of that stretch it's just that's where he kind of that's where he peaked for sure but anyway so one last uh note that we have here on Okay, yeah. But one other note we have here on Todd Helton, there are 10 other retired players with exactly six seasons of 625 plate appearances and an OPS plus of 140 or better, uh, all of which are Hall of Famers and the one, except for one, but the one non-Hall of Famer accumulated 
1,400 less plate appearances in his career than Helton did and had a lower OPS plus career-wise. Who is that exactly, Chris? Do you remember? Uh, Jim Wynn. Oh. Uh, he, was, he played for the Astros. I Like 60s, 70s, I want to say? Something yeah. like that? Yeah. I, um, I want to yeah, that's the that's the one other guy, and he just didn't have as complete a career uh, as a uh, Todd Helton did. Seventies, but yeah, that's that's our uh, that's our Hall of Fame, that's our bubble case for the week. Todd Helton, um, we're pretty confident that we are going to be putting him on the ballot, but um, there's some understanding in not putting him on the ballot. If you're someone who kind of has a smaller ballot, I wouldn't understand putting someone like i don't know Vizquel over him or like jeff kent over him i wouldn't understand having a small ballot <laughs> yeah Period. especially especially for this era but um yeah especially for this era when there are so many good players like i feel like uh five years from now we're probably going to see some smaller ballots um probably yeah there's not weren't yeah. from like yeah, from like 05 to 14. I mean, that's that's good for guys like Bobby Abreu, though, and even guys like Todd Helton, because if Todd Helton's in like his ninth year still on the ballot, like, I mean, he should be fine. Like, I'm trying, like, I think we've gone over this, but like, you know, next year is obviously going to be big with Ortiz and A Rod. 2017, the headliner is Beltron. Uh, 2018, the headliners are Joe Mauer, Chase Udley, and um, Adrian Beltre. 2019 it's what brian mccann yeah i guess it's and 2020 is going to be terrible 2025 is going to be awful it's just going to be alex gordon and that's it yeah true and alex gordon no offense to him is not a hall of famer yeah uh but he probably will get on the ballot because he's like the only guy yeah alex gordon headlines the first years in 2025 because i mean no one wants to retire after this year yeah, for sure. Uh, except Alex Gordon. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that's kind of a, uh, that's, that's the case for Todd Helton next week. Or uh, yeah, I guess we should figure out what we're doing for next week. Tim Hudson, maybe if you want to even do him. Like, yeah. And, and I think, yeah, what we'll do, we'll do the, you know, like Clemens bonds thing towards the end of the, I think it should be Tim Hudson, if not him, Andrew Jones next. Um, yeah, well, we should figure out a schedule because we only have so many we episodes. We haven't done that, yeah. The, 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 the election's in like seven weeks or so. Yeah, because we, we also will combine some bubble cases for one episode. Yeah, like... Most likely. And mm-hmm. then, you know, the Omar Vizquela episode is going to be epic. That's going to be that's gonna be its own show. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's gonna be just the the. <laughs> we cannot wait for. We've been preparing for that one since about May. <laughs> no, before then, like last year, we made a video about him. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I watched, I, that, I watched that earlier today. Yeah, I was completely oblivious to, like, the a the popularity and b how much of a non Hall of Famer he actually is. I I opened your eyes, but you didn't vote for him last year. No. You never, you never fell into that category of people. Yeah, and there were pl- there were plenty of yeah. I I will be adding plenty of guys to the ballot. Um, I I know year. of at least two, maybe three people that I definitely will be adding to my ballot this year. And Todd Helton is not one of them because I already did add him. Yeah, 
So I guess that does that that does it for this week's edition of the show to be named later. We well, wait, we got we gotta go over one more thing. Oh right. Yeah. Um Dick Allen passed away earlier today. Uh he was a former Phillies uh and white mostly Phillies and White Sox player. He won the 1992 American League MVP with a in, a, in basically the resurgence of the dead ball era, he had a, tw- a 1023 OPS with a 199 OPS plus in 1972, winning him the most valuable player award. He finished his career with 58.8 baseball reference war. And he's been, he's been one of the biggest, like uh, non hall of famers that should be a hall of famer, like for pretty much the entirety of his, of his previous post baseball life. And um He's a guy that I think should be in a 912 career OPS when offense wasn't really a thing, a 156 OPS plus uh, over a 15 year career. Um, it's a shame that um, he is not going to be able to live to see his Hall of Fame election because next year he's going to be on the Veterans Era Committee ballot. I think he's going to, I think he was going to get in regardless. I think this may uh, heighten his chances a little, but uh, nonetheless, uh, rest in peace to Dick Allen. Uh, obviously, our thoughts go out to his family during this difficult time. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anything else you want to add? Yeah, definitely. Like yeah, a very underrated guy in baseball history, probably should be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, like accumulating almost 60 B-War in less than 7,500 plate appearances. But mm-hmm. yeah, like overall, I think there were – uh, I didn't read too much into uh, who he was, you know, as a guy off the field, but I think there were some interesting things about, about him. Um, generally, like, I think he kind of, I'm not sure, but I know there's something there, but uh, you know, i if, if there is something there, I'm not the one that's going to be um, the uh, you know, the, the scribe of it the, the the one telling the story for him yeah um we'll leave we'll leave that to people that kind of covered him actually so uh yeah you know rest in peace to dick allen uh died at 78 um so we hope you enjoyed uh this check-in of the show to be named later um if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, want to watch us talk, uh, go to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's called STBNL with Christiana and Daniel Curran. If you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran. And follow our show Instagram at STBNL Podcast. Uh, from all those accounts, you'll know exactly when um, our content is out there. Um, so if you're enjoying this, want to know when the next one is just follow any one of those accounts or actually follow, uh, Dan, uh, Daniel's personal Instagram would not be the, the account, but his Twitter, my Twitter, the show Instagram, which is a joint Instagram, any one of those for the, for any updates. And we hope you enjoyed this check-in and we hope to see you on Thursday or, or Friday We've determined it will be uh, a, a delayed, you know. Finals, got- finals are coming up, so it's it's tough to, to work in, you know, the history scripts. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work on top of school, so uh, we're delaying it a day. Um, so we hope to see you on Friday, where we're going to be talking about Lou Gehrig 
and on Saturday, where we're going to be talking about the 2018 Milwaukee Brewers. See you then.